0: Good morning. It's great to worship together. If you've got a copy of Scripture, we're going to be uh, in John chapter 9. We are on our 6th, and this is our next to last week in this series uh, of, uh, according to John, looking at the seven miracles uh, that John records for us uh, that Jesus performed while he was here on earth. Now, we know that Jesus performed way more uh, than the seven that are here in Uh, Scripture, he uh, performed way more than what Scripture even tells us about, but John, in his goal and move and push forward uh, for people to believe and have faith in Jesus, records these seven for a very specific purpose And plan. And so we are looking at these, uh, and we have been for the last few weeks. We'll wrap up this series next week, and then we're going to go back into the Old Testament and jump into uh, the book of Jonah uh, to see what the Lord has for us. There. Uh, This week is unique. Last week was, of all the miracles that John recorded for us, was the shortest. And we had to spend some time looking into the other gospel accounts of that miracle to really understand and comprehend what Jesus was up to and what he was trying to do. And, And this week, what we are going to see is that this is going to be the longest record that John is going to give us of a miracle that Jesus performs. Now, what is interesting is the way in which John comprises this is going to be very short on the actual miracle. John is going to give us almost no details on the actual miracle itself because it is not the miracle that is the focus of John's uh, telling the story. In fact, he's only going to spend about two verses talking specifically about the miracle of giving sight to the man who was blind from birth. And then he's going to go on for about 40 verses and deal with a series of conversations that take place after the man was healed. And it is in these conversations that John finds great importance for us. There is a lesson in these conversations for us today that we're going to look at, that we're going to pull out and say, what is the lesson for us in these conversations, these five to six conversations that take place after the blind man is healed? What do they teach us today and and where do they lead us thousands of years later in our own journey with Jesus? Now, Jesus in this miracle is going to do something that is extraordinary. It is uh, scandalous in that time. It's not the only time Jesus has done it. You'll go back and remember some of the other miracles that Jesus performs. He does those on the Sabbath, which in the eyes of the religious leaders is a slap in their face. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, I am the Sabbath, right? I am the one you're supposed to be worshiping. You're, You're so worried with abstaining from work in order to worship God, you're failing to see that I am God. I am the Son of God. I am the promised Messiah. And so he intentionally is going to perform this miracle on the Sabbath to create controversy. And it is this controversy That gives us the 40 verses and the multiple conversations after the healing that are going to give us instruction and truth for our life today. And so let's jump in. John chapter 9 verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now this man was more than likely minding his own business, sitting on uh, the street corner begging for whatever food, whatever uh, money, whatever would be given to him that he might enrich his life in some way. And the disciples see this man and they do not see this man with compassion. They do not see this man and say what can we do? They see this man as a riddle to be solved. They don't see a man who needs mercy and compassion. They see a man who is to be talked about. What do we make of this guy, Jesus? They don't look and say, hey, Jesus, heal this guy. They don't say, hey, Jesus, you know, take some fish and some bread and multiply it and give it to him and give him food for the rest of his life. No, they don't say that. They instead ask a theological question. They have no interest in helping him. They just want to discuss his condition. Now in this time, this was a a widely held belief that if you were suffering in this life, let's say from blindness, or you were lame, or you were deaf, or there was some kind of physical ailment in your life that you suffered from, the, the common belief was that was a result of either sin in your own life, Or your parents who sinned and then if you were born with that condition that it was more than likely your parents sinned and it was their fault that you were born with this uh, uh, deformity in your life. And some were even so crazy as to believe the child sinned in the womb. And it was a result of sins they committed not even here in the world fully yet. There are all these different th- uh, theories out there, and so the disciples were wanting to know, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man? Was it his parents? What is going on? They, they, they wanted to have a theological question and conversation. They wanted to answer this question, why Jesus? Why is this man suffering? And isn't that the tendency that we all run to in our own lives when we face suffering and we face hardship and we face tribulation and we face difficulty, when we face sickness? Why, God? Why me? Why now? Why are you allowing this to happen? That is where the disciples find themselves. But this will not be Jesus' focus. Jesus is not interested in answering the question why. Jesus is not interested in having a theological conversation and debate. He's after something far greater. I love this, Uh, Spurgeon said uh, almost 150 years ago, I I love this quote from him as he's talking about Jesus healing the man who has been born blind that we're looking at today. Listen to this of, of what Spurgeon said about what Jesus did in this moment. He says, Jesus will soon show a very different way. He won't dwell on the theological puzzle, but on actually helping the man. It is ours not to speculate, but to to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical. Let us uh, uh, be less for cracking doctrinal, doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. Jesus says, I am not here to answer the question why this man was born into sin. He was born into sin like everybody else. I'm here to bring mercy. I'm here to bring hope. I'm here to bring truth. And we ought to follow in Jesus' lead in this moment. But Jesus is also up to something else here. And we see it in his response here In verse 3, Jesus answered their question, why was this man born blind? And he says, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. Jesus says, it is not a question of why. It's a question of what? Jesus says there is a purpose behind this man's blindness. There is a reason behind it. God is up to something in this moment. God has a plan and a purpose and a divine reason for the difficulty that this man has walked through. And it is that the works of God might be displayed in him. And thousands of years later, in the moments we find ourselves like the beggar, In situations of suffering and difficulty, instead of asking why, we're far better to ask God, what? What are you up to in this moment? What is your purpose in this season that I am walking through? As I am walking through the sickness that I do not want to walk through, God, what is your purpose? What is your reason? What is your plan? What are you up to in this moment? I don't want to ask why. That doesn't get me anywhere. But when I have a perspective that says, God, what are you doing? Now I realize that this is not for naught. God, you have a reason and you have a plan and you have a purpose and you are doing something and you are accomplishing something. You're putting your works on display in this season that I am walking through in my life. And in healing this blind beggar, Jesus is going to paint a picture of of what our lives ought to look like, lives that move to maturity in Jesus that are able to say, hey God, what are you doing in me? What is your purpose? What is your plan? Not that ask why. He's showing how all of us, the goal in our life is to move to maturity in our faith and walk with Jesus, that we would live a life that worships him, Because here's what I can tell you. You will never ask, what are you up to, Jesus? If Jesus has not become your everything. If Jesus has not become the object of worship in your life, that you have said, you are valuable above everything else in my life, we will never come to the place that we will say, God, what are you up to in the midst of my sickness? We'll just continue to ask why. Jesus is showing us through John that the goal of our lives is to move towards maturity and maturity looks like this, that you worship Jesus with everything you have, that you realize he is far greater than any and everything in your life. And when we get to that point, my friends, we'll realize that the greatest use of our life Is for the glory of God to be displayed, not our own desires, not our own wishes. Verse 4, Jesus goes on to heal this man. He says, we must work the works of the one who has sent me while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground. And he made mud with the saliva. This is important. He did not work. In that time, it was believed that if you began to knead something together, that that was work and you had broken the laws of the Sabbath. Jesus was very careful in this moment not to break the laws of the Sabbath. He just spit in the mud and he placed it on his eyes. He anointed the man's eyes with mud and he said to him, Now go wash in the pool of uh, Siloam which means sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now what follows this miracle that is so great are these conversations. And in these conversations, what we're going to see is a life that grows in faith and worship of Jesus. And just like the beggar, we will not worship unless Jesus first opens our own eyes to see that he is worth everything in our lives. And so let's look at these these conversations. Let's see what happens in them and how they show us the faith that grows in this blind man. The first conversation takes place here in uh, verses 8 through 12. And it takes place between the blind beggar who now can see and this group of friends and neighbors who knew him prior to him being healed. Verse 8 says, the neighbors who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? They were astonished. They were blown away their whole lives. They had known this man as the guy who was blind, who could not see, and yet now he can clearly see. And so they said to him, Verse 10, How were your eyes opened? They want to know. How did this miracle occur? What happened? So verse 11, he answered, he said, this man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. The man's response in this moment shows us just how little he understood about who Jesus was. Now in the ESV, it says, the man Jesus said this, Uh, Several other translations. When you look at it in the Greek, it is more of a "this man." It is it is a, a, a lacking knowledge of who Jesus was is what we see, and so in this first conversation between his old neighbors and friends and the beggar, we see that he he is he's not very knowledgeable of who Jesus is. He's not very confident. All he knows is that he was blind. And this man, he doesn't really know, spit in some mud and put it on his eyes and told him to go wash and he did and he now has sight. And so his friends are astonished. And what is amazing is even though he is clueless about who Jesus is, he's not gonna stay there. He doesn't live the rest of his life Being grateful for a miracle and knowing nothing about Jesus. That's not where he stays. So his friends who are blown away say, hey, hold on, come on. And they they take the man and they take him to the Pharisees because they want to get to the bottom of this. Verse 13 says, they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. And what is amazing is as they bring this man who was once blind, who now can see into the leaders of the faith of the Jewish people who ought to have been celebrating his healing in a miraculous way, they are angry. They don't care that he's been healed. They don't care that he now has sight. They are consumed with hatred for Jesus alone. And they see in this moment a chance to try to get Jesus, an opportunity to catch him working on the Sabbath, that they can take their enemy out. And so they say to him, verse 16, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Even among the Pharisees, they were divided on this. They didn't know what to make of this guy who apparently worked on the Sabbath and performed a miracle. Is he the son of God? Is he not? And this beggar faced with the anger and the frustration of the religious leaders. Watch the change In his response to their questions. Remember with his neighbors, with his friends, this was his response. This guy, this guy healed me. Now watch his response and his answer to the questions that the Pharisees are going to ask him in verse 17. So they said to him again, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, what do you say about him? And listen to the beggar's response. He is a prophet. He's no longer this guy. Something is stirring in this formerly blind beggar who has been given his sight by Jesus that he is beginning to understand in the same way that his eyes are opening to the reality of all the light and the beauty of creation that is around him. There is also this opening in his heart and in his mind to begin to understand who Jesus is. That he is not just a man. He's a prophet. No longer is he just a man. He's a prophet. This infuriates the religious leaders. They realize that they've got a problem on their hand. And so it leads us to the third conversation that's about to take place. And this is going to be between the beggar's parents and the Pharisees. The beggar would have been there with them. They realize they've got a a problem on their hand. If his response has divided the Pharisees in half, and half of them believe him, and half of them don't believe him, they've got a major problem on their hands, so they've got to get to the bottom of this. And so they think, if we can get his parents in here, maybe he's lying about being blind from birth. And so they call his parents in, and they question them, verse 20. And his parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. And John wanted to be very clear about why his parents gave this response, and he gives it to us here in verse 22. He says, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue, and therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. His parents are terrified. They know that if they acknowledge that Jesus healed him, that they could be accused of confessing Jesus to be the promised Messiah. They are terrified. They know the consequences of that. They know the weight that is coming if they do that. They'll be thrown out of the temple. Now this is very different than leaving a church today. Let me just stop and and pause and tell you that. You don't get thrown out of the temple and go down to the street to the next temple that looks similar to the temple that you were just at. There is one temple in Jerusalem and this is it. It's not like today where we play music you don't like and you leave or uh, we say something and you get offended or you have a, a, a problem with somebody and then you just leave and there's another church right down the road that you can go to. That is not the situation. You will lose everything. Their life Their relationships, their faith, gone. In a matter of minutes. That is what is on the line. But even in the face of all of that. Even though the beggar watches his parents cower in fear before the Pharisees. He continues to grow in his faith and his knowledge and his understanding of who Jesus is. Look at the fourth conversation. It's between the Pharisees and the beggar. We call it round two. Because they weren't done. And in this moment, we're going to see a total different response from the beggar than when he first talked to his neighbors. There's going to be faith. And confidence and boldness in him that has been grown from somewhere that did not exist when this all began. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're going ahead and telling him what he ought to say. This man is a sinner. Give glory to God. Listen to us. Pay attention, boy. And the beggar answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And so they said to him, what did he do to you? They've already asked him this before, right? He's probably getting tired of answering this question. Everyone's asked him this over and over again. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said to them, listen to this, I've already told you. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? There's like sarcasm in his voice now. There's a confidence and a boldness. And we see in his response, do you also, it's a key word, do you also want to become his disciples? He has gone from being a man who says, This is just the man, this man, who was a prophet, to who now in the face of losing everything says, I want to follow him. Do you also want to follow him? That was his response. He is confessing that Jesus is Lord. And that he wants to follow him and this infuriates the Pharisees. This man's confidence, he goes on uh, for the next few verses to school the Pharisees on who Jesus is. This man who just a few moments ago was a blind outcast beggar who wasn't worthy of anything, who had no formal training, no education, has now went from here here to teaching and instructing the most respected and highly trained leaders of the day. It's a total transformation. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? How dare you? And they cast him out. The blind beggar who has become confident and a bold witness of the promised Messiah who is unafraid of the consequences that would come from worshiping and following Jesus. And John is going to put a highlighter on that and say this is who we ought to be. We ought to have the boldness and the confidence of the blind beggar in front of the Pharisees that though everything is on the line is willing to follow and confess Jesus As Lord. But there's a last conversation. It takes place between Jesus and the beggar. When Jesus hears about what the religious leaders have done. It breaks his heart. This man that they ought to have rejoiced over and celebrated the healing in his life. They have ridiculed and cast out. And so Jesus went to him. Think about that. The outcast, beggar, worthless in the eyes of everybody else, the Son of God sought out. Verse 35. Jesus heard they had cast him out and found, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus confirmed everything in his soul that he believed to be true. You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he fell to his knees and he worshiped him. Jesus finds the beggar who's been cast out. And he falls on his knees in worship. It is here in this final conversation with the beggar that we see that our goal is a life that values Jesus above all else and that worships him alone. That this is the goal that we grow in maturity in our faith in Jesus to the point that we want him over everything else. And that when we get to that point, when we understand that, we will no longer keep asking the questions of why God, why me, why this, but we'll begin to say, Jesus, what are you up to? What are you wanting to accomplish through me? What is your purpose in this moment, and this season that I am walking through? And for some people, that growth happens like it did for the blind man, quick. For others of us, it takes years, maybe even decades to get to that point in which we have that kind of faith in Jesus. And wherever you are in that journey, that is okay whether it was in a moment you understood who Jesus is and that he was worthy of everything in your life and you gave your life to him, that he would use it for his kingdom and his purpose, whether that happened in a moment or whether that's taking years for you to get there, it is okay. John's point is this, keep moving towards maturity. Keep growing in your knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. Don't stop. Don't give up. Because when we quit moving towards maturity and faith in Jesus. We begin to look and talk like the blind Pharisees. And I'm convinced that there is nothing more detrimental to the kingdom of God. And what he is up to here on earth. Than blind Pharisees. Who think that they're more important than Jesus Who think their kingdom and their purposes and their plans have more value than what Jesus is up to? Verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came in this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind the hope for us this morning is that Jesus has come and like the beggar that our eyes might be opened and we could see him as the promised Messiah who is worthy of everything in our life. And my prayer for you this morning and my prayer for me this morning is that for each of us, that we would daily ask the Lord to open our eyes like he did for the blind man. That we would see clearly who he is, that we would see clearly that he is worthy of everything in our life, that we would devote ourselves to him and to his purposes, that he is at work and accomplishing in and through our lives. So that we are not like the blind Pharisees. Filled with selfishness and self-centeredness. Focused on building our own kingdom here on earth. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes. And would you take a few moments to ask Jesus to open your eyes to who he is. That's what we need. We need him to help us see that he is worth more than everything else in our lives that we think are so important. Ask him to give you sight to see him clearly. morning if the Lord is working on your heart and you want to know more about who He is and what it means to confess Him as Lord and to follow Him with your life when the service is over with I'll be down front and I'd love to talk with you some of our staff will be down there we'd love to talk with you as well we'd encourage you to come down and talk with us but in the next few moments we're going to sing a song together And I would ask you to make it more than just words you say. The cry of your heart. To see with clarity who Jesus is.